Bible's got you tied in knots if you're burdened with religious thoughts. Come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Yes, it is the Heretic Happy Hour, and it's also Happy New Year to everybody. We are starting episode 40 of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast in 2019. And oh my gosh, this is not only going to be an exciting episode, uh, it's also going to be a little adult. So if you are, if you've been listening to this podcast with your children, God bless you, uh, but you might, you might want to ask them to leave the room for this one because we're going to be talking about pornography and we are kicking off a series on sex. So um, that's probably going to be something we're going to be mentioning at the top of the next couple of podcasts. But anyway, my name is Keith and uh, Keith Giles, I'm the uh, one of your hosts, I'm the author of a couple of books, including Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible, published by Choir Publishing. Heresy! And, Heresy! And I am joined by right. my good friends, Matt and Jamal. Introduce yourselves, guys. Hi, friends. My name is Jamal Javanji, and I am the author of a soon-to-be-published book called Living for a Living. And uh, speaking of telling your children to leave... Um, what does a, what does a, f- a father Buffalo tell his little son Buffalo when he wants him to go? I don't know what Jamal. What does he say? Bye son. Bye. Son. Oh God. <laughs> oh, is there a book you have where these are found? <laughs> I just, this is unbelievable. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, thank, thanks for that wonderful lead in Jamal. Uh, my name's Matt <laughs> DeStefano and I have to follow that. Um, I'm the author of four books and a couple on the way. And I'm I'm actually really excited to be kicking off the sex series. This is a series that I've been looking forward to for a while because who doesn't like talking about sex? Um, well, yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> you should. <laughs> so, hey, uh, before we get into it, um, I think we also want to. Uh, I got to read this sponsor here. We have a we have a sponsor, the Hope Center. So we have a sponsor. We have a sponsor. Did you know that? So this episode is sponsored by the Hope Center, a community resource center. Uh, serving one of Alabama's poorest communities by providing a neighborhood market where neighbors can shop for food at no cost in an atmosphere of love and respect. Please visit their website at servealabama.org for more information. And um, I happen to know that uh, my good friend Jason Elam helps to run that ministry. God bless you, Jason. Jason's one of the good ones. He's actually one of the great ones. And uh, yeah, excited about being sponsored by those guys. Yeah, that's fantastic. I I love it when I hear about businesses like this. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so uh, we got a couple announcements. I think we announced it on the last show, Uh, but we have a couple new services. One is uh, a webinar that we're going to do once a month for our Patreon supporters, and we actually scheduled our first uh, date for that webinar. So if, if you're interested in chatting with us on Zoom and asking us questions with a, you know, a group of maybe 10, 15, 20 people, um, please go to our Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and sign up for uh, the tier two option. So for 20 bucks a month, we're going to do these monthly webinars. And our first is going to be coming up on January 13th at 10 Pacific Standard Time, 10 in the morning, a normal church service, if you will. Hallelujah. Thank God. So that's going to be, uh, I guess, when this comes out, that's going to be next Sunday. So this upcoming Sunday, we're going to have our first. And we also, our second new service that we have are these private sessions that we're going to be doing. So if you go to heretichappyhour.com store, one of the things you can buy there 
is a one hour private session on Zoom with all three of us. So if you're deconstructing, if you have questions and our podcast isn't quite answering all of them and you want to dig deeper, um, you can click on that and you'll get this, uh, you'll get a form to fill out with some questions that we have, and then we'll set up a, a time that we can all do that. Um, so we're super excited. We actually have our first coming up uh, that we're not going to give any details on because it's private. And that's the beauty of it is that if you have all these questions, you want to sit down and dig deep with us. That's what that's there for. So in addition to that, we obviously have our swag and I'm trying to get God Loves Gays t-shirt to be uh, the leading seller at the store. And I know I'm doing pretty good because I think it's ranked number one. So we got all that swag. If you want to get the Mary Magdalene shirt, that's fine. You can refute uh, Jamal's conspiracy theory that she's being oppressed. But uh, yeah, so go over to heretichappyhour.com slash store. All that stuff's in there. Yeah, and uh, I got to correct. A, there was a, a mistake there, something you just said, Matt, because actually I'm um, looking at the numbers here and the uh, Agape Against the Machine t-shirt is actually the number one t-shirt. Um, but I think, Ah, fuck. I think uh, yours is maybe second. Close, close second. Uh, ah, all right. But anyway, um, hey, do you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast? Can you just not get enough? Do, do you like, just like, it kills you to wait between episodes it's, and you just wish there was some way you could get even more um, Heretic Happy Hour podcast content? Well, friends, I have good news for you because we have a Patreon page. And if you go to our Patreon page, you know what you can do? You can help support us for just a little bit of money um, every month. And if you do that, you're going to get bonus content we're going to record special podcast content just for you. We're going to record like special interviews with some of our guests just for people who can't get enough of the podcast and want to support what we're doing. And I have some names to read because so we have some new people who have signed up uh, to support the Heretic Happier podcast. I want to say thank you to Chris Hauser, woo! Zach Young, Julie Chandler, Stephanie Wilkins, Meg Calvin. Hey, shout out to the Listening Chair podcast. Listen to that. It's awesome. And Tim Emanuel's. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to them and everyone who is supporting the Heretic Happy Hour podcast on Patreon. Are we doing a live show? I think someone said something about a live show. We do have a live show coming up and I'm really excited about it because uh, it'll be the first time, uh, the first time that we're having the fifth ever live show. And Keith, Keith, you're coming down from Idaho. So, you know, when you moved away uh, from Southern California, everybody thought this was going to be the last time. Uh, that we have a live show for a while, but actually you are flying all the way down from Idaho. Um, and Matt is also coming down from Northern California. Uh, and we're all going to be convening here in Southern California, actually in uh, uh, the sidecar donut workspace in Costa Mesa, California. So not the actual restaurant or the donut shop, but it's going to be at the workspace where we had it last time, last couple of times, actually. So um, Keith, you're coming all the way down from Idaho. So I think uh, anybody here in California, if you have any kind of inclination or desire to come to the live podcast show, let me invite you to come out to, to, to that. It's really fun. We really love meeting all the listeners that are able to make it to that. And we'll be um, obviously continuing our series on sex. And uh, so that'll be, um, it'll be really interesting. Oh, yeah. So come on out. Yeah. And, and what, uh, what is that date again? What is that date? It's, it's going to be February 23rd uh, at, from 6 to 9 PM. So, Mark your calendar, February 23rd from 6 to 9 p.m. at Sidecar Donuts. Yeah, and also I, I wanted to mention um, that we have a hotline. Yes. And Yes, and by the way, I know the number. It is 
area code 240-343-7379. And you can call, anybody can call that in the continental United States of America and, um, or even internationally, but you have to dial the country. It's it's international. (laughs) We all got that. Right. Right. Unless you're in Mexico, uh, then you have to, you know, I think there's an, once that wall's built, you can't, you know, I don't know if you have to dial the number or something, but right now it works. So, um, but we do have a voicemail. Hey, Heretic Happy Hour. This is Alan calling all the way from Hong Kong, where I was listening to your Missionary Madness broadcast, podcast, and it made me so mad. I came to Hong Kong as a missionary, and now I'm a heretic, and <laughs> I really love listening to you guys, but Listening to the section about talking about the message of Jesus, and the whole emphasis was that Jesus doesn't talk about himself. And that was so much BS. Jesus talks about himself all the time. The whole book of John, the seven I am's. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Jesus got crucified by talking about himself. He was just another nice teacher talking about God wants you to do this and do that and live like this, he would never have gotten crucified. And it really bugs me that you guys are so nice to each other that you sit around and go, mm, 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 while somebody's spouting a bunch of bullshit, and you never call each other on it. Anyway. Wow. (laughs) Generally, I love the podcast, but... Sure hated that section. You rang my bell. Thanks. I'm Alan. Wow. Well, I got to say, I'm pretty sure I did push back um, on that episode, unless I'm thinking of a different episode. Didn't I? I? Not enough. Apparently not enough for Alan. Alan, I'm sorry. But I thought I really did. No, Keith, I'll I'll defend you. You did push back. But let me me just say this to Alan. First of all, thank you for, for listening all the way from Hong Kong, by the way. Uh, which is awesome. And um, I, I really, I hear your heart and I definitely know that what I shared would, you know, maybe ruffle some feathers there when it comes to Jesus not talking about himself. But I actually um, would, I would push back again at, at something you said in your voicemail when you said that his I am statements got him crucified. Actually, it was their misunderstanding of his I am statements that got him crucified. It wasn't what he meant. He was never calling attention to himself. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, he was he was obviously using the terminology of the divine, saying I am, like very exclusively using that terminology that God you know, revealed himself or herself to Moses, uh, using that terminology. And so the, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him with. And he says, for what good work do you stone me? And he says, because you, they said, we're not stoning you for any good work, but because you being a mere human being, make yourself out to be God. And he said, no, 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 I'm not doing this in an exclusive way. Like, and I'm paraphrasing here. They say, this isn't, this isn't about, I'm not saying that like I am God in the sense of like, I am Jehovah God, me alone, standalone person here claiming to be the divine. He said, I'm only saying what the scripture says about all of us. Doesn't the scripture say that we are all A-L-L-G-O-D-S? Doesn't the scripture say we are all gods? So Jesus right there, even, you know, he corrected their misunderstanding saying, I'm not claiming to be God in any greater way than we are all gods. And I think, so this was not a statement of exclusively about himself. This I am statement could be applied to all of us. So he was really calling all of us gods. 
There you go, Alan. I love it. I, yeah. Well, I think he was using that kind of ironically, but that's a different discussion. I just, I, I'm sorry. I, I guess to each their own. Like, if Jamal, if Jamal says something I disagree with, like Jesus did, I think, talk about himself. He, he called himself the Son of Man. But I think what Jamal's point is that if Jesus did talk about himself, he's not talking about himself as if he has some sort of divine download that he knows he's some sort of special human being that none of us are. I think that's what Jamal's point is. So I guess it's just different strokes for different folks. Like, I think I know what Jamal's context is. And even if it's something that I find bullshit, I mean, part of the spirit of the Heretic Happy Hour is that is that we just discuss things like it, it? I don't. I don't need to call to the right. floor everything I happen to disagree with. We would get into these three-hour discussions. Right. This would be the Joe Rogan podcast, and it'd be like a four-hour podcast that most people don't have. He, although he has a lot of downloads, like <laughs> people don't want to listen to uh, us dumbasses right. talk for four hours. So I mean, sometimes you just let things go, even if you happen to say, "Okay, well, maybe I'd push back a little bit." I and. You know, thanks for the call and thanks for uh, pushing back because I think that's the beauty of the Heretic Happy Hour. You can call, you can call us on our bullshit. Call the Heretic Happy Hour hotline and tell us we're full yeah, of shit. We still love I mean, you. It's all good. So thank you. All right. We still love you. Yeah. So let's move on. We have a text. Thank you for the text. Here's the text. Thank you, producer, <laughs> who typed that out real quick. Quote: Yo, and there's like a lot of O's. Get off Paul's dick, cuz. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> I hear it. I think he means. I'm assuming Paul the Apostle. I'm assuming he's, he's yeah, Paul. He must be talking to me, meaning like get off his dick, like quit defending this dude. Okay, and Isn't it, uh, I think that's that's not a listener case. Whoever sent that text in is obviously. <laughs> I think he's talking to you, Matt. He's saying, "Yo, get off Paul's dick," because but I wasn't the so. context of that when we were talking about? I think we were talking about what Paul's view on women were was, and you were, you know, you were talking about that you like Paul and that you don't think Paul was saying these things that are negative I, about women and their and their. All right, 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 so, right. I just okay. So two two things. A, Paul may have been a misogynist. Uh, he may have been patriarchal. He may have been, but I don't think he was, and I think we need to give him the benefit of the doubt. Sorry, that's my personal I, view. And if that's getting on Paul's dick. What, you got a problem with LGBT stuff? Come on. Just kidding. <laughs> I like Paul more than Jamal does or more than some people do. That's just my, sorry. I'll get off his dick, I guess, if you want. <laughs> okay, and also also we have a, uh, and, and whoever uh, <laughs> sent that uh, comical text in, thank you for that. Um, we, also have, we also have another text from a listener. Quote, hi, heretics. Hope you're all, hope, hope you're well. I just started listening to the podcast and I love it. It's exactly the thoughtful discussion about Jesus and the Christian faith that I was looking for. I was just wondering what the book is called that Jamal mentions in the Mary Magdalene episode. I hope to read it. Thanks. Taylor from SC. I, I would imagine that stands for South Carolina, but I could be wrong. Cool. Awesome. That's a great, great text uh, from a listener. And okay. So that, Yes, that uh, episode about Mary Magdalene's great. First of all, thank you for listening to that. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Um, you know what? I try not to what I like. Send me, find me on Facebook. My name is Jamal. Last name is Chavanji. Find me on Facebook. Send me a message, and I'd be glad to converse to you a little bit about my process and uh, maybe some of the the things I've read that have influenced me along the way. The reason I don't put that out there um, is just because. Um, 
yeah, I don't, I don't really like to, but uh, I really feel like that's, this is really a journey for folks. And this is like this in anything, not just the Mary Magnum episode, but I tend to personally um, share things with people as they come to me personally with things uh, that can be easily disregarded, shot down, made fun of this, you know, this whole conversation about Mary Magdalene is unfortunately, in my opinion, really, it's been tainted along the way. And it just, it's written off. It's, it's not taken seriously. So the minute I mention something publicly, somebody's going to go dig in on the internet and try to discredit the author. And then there you go. And I just don't, I don't like to get in that kind of uh, debate. So, um, if you if you would like to know more, uh, just message me privately, and I'll share my process with you and some of the things I've read that have been helpful. So, in other words, you're not going to tell her what the book That's is. Right. No, I totally will. Well, actually, actually, I will tell. I will tell the listener. You won't tell. I'm just fucking with you. Know, it on the podcast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's our, that's our, thank you for, for those callers and texters who got into the Heretic Happy Hour. I guess that means it's time for our Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, I'm Danielle Kingstrom and I'm the Heretic of the Week. Hi, Hi Danielle. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Oh, wow. That was, that was less enthusiastic than most. We must be really <laughs> excited to have you on, Danielle. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> trying really hard. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, Danielle, uh, this is Matt here. If you don't know, I'm just kidding. Danielle and I are writing a book together. So I'm so personally excited to have you on the show. (laughs) And I know you listen to the show. So just want to jump right into it and ask you, in your opinion, why some people consider you a heretic? Um, uh, I've, I love this question a lot because um, the other people that say, well, if I told you all the reasons I'm not a heretic, it would take up less time. The same goes for me. Um, so there's like a million reasons, but um, I tried to narrow it down to say that the number one reason is because I ask questions. And a lot of people um, think questions are a proof of your lack of faith. And so because I'm constantly questioning everything, I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, And then secondly, I ask a lot of questions regarding sex in relation to um, God. And that is a big no-no because we live in a culture where we kind of keep a velvet curtain up and separate God from sexuality and all things related to sex. And for me, um, growing up with a very open and um, transparent hippie mother— who never, never shushed my questions. Um, she helped me kind of realize that sexuality was um, a part of life and of God. And I kind of just always went with that. And that, again, makes people very uncomfortable because we live in a society where we're supposed to separate, you know, politics from religion and sex from religion. Um, and then, you know, I am an advocate for following the teachings of Jesus, but I am also a big fan and um, advocate for erotica, and that's pretty taboo in a lot of circles. And I guess that's about the gist of it. Wow, that's that's great. That uh, just what you said right there. I can imagine are more. Uh, I don't know if we have puritanical listeners, um, but we've probably scared them off by now. But just what you said there can. <laughs> I mean, growing up in the church myself is is really offensive. What you just said, and and yeah, we do we do live in this sort of shame-based uh, uh, subculture within Christianity that the minute you mention erotica, like you just did, it's like we cover our ears and head for the hills because that's just too offensive mm-hmm. 
because we're supposed to be good Christian boys and girls, right? Yep. And it's all supposed to stay under the sheets locked away in our bedroom. And we're never supposed to talk about it. And definitely not in the same sentence as Jesus. Yeah. And the ironic thing is that some of the same Christians who would be the most upset about the idea uh, of the things you just expressed um, are probably also some of the Christians who are downloading and consuming more porn um, and erotica. But, but uh, you know, it's uh, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want it to be uh, out in the open, right? Because we we know the statistics are that a lot of Christians, especially like in the Bible Belt area. The Bible Belt, yeah. The Bible yeah. Belt is huge for porn consumption. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the irony. So what, why do you think that is? I mean, so, and can you talk a little bit about like that weird uh, dynamic going on there? Um, I think, uh, honestly, as, I mean, I look at it from a parent aspect first and talking about sex with your kids is scary. Um, my mom was so open. Um, you know, I was a very overly curious kid and I dug in everybody's everything. So at a very young age, you know, I had dug in an aunt's cupboard and exposed, um, you know, one of her massagers that nobody was supposed to know about. And I asked questions. So I came across something at some point inappropriate. And my mother had to explain to me the difference between having sex and making love. And from then on, I kind of always separated it out like that, wanted to talk about it. But then you get into the into the um, church circles. And that kind of stuff is only talked about between a husband and a wife. And at, in the beginning, my mom kind of framed it around that parameter too. What This is what you do when you're married. And so I kind of always grew up with that understanding because that's what the church tells you, that we repress all of it and we don't talk about it until we're married. But then we all get married and have all these kids and we keep doing the same thing. So nobody's really talking about it. And then when you do have kids that are talking about it, like I did, you have other parents calling up, you know, my mom, shaming her. How dare you give such information to such small children? And then those children are then told, don't listen to what this person says and you're not supposed to talk about it. So we just kind of perpetuate this circle of shushing it up and repressing it instead of being open and honest about it. And when your kid says, you know, why does it feel good when when I touch my penis? You're not supposed to tell them to be quiet and that they're talking about inappropriate things. You should be honest with them, at least from a biological standpoint to start with. And then going from there, we need to learn how to how to look at it from a spiritual aspect and talk about it in a way that a kid will understand. Um, I think if we did that, we wouldn't have so much repression. We wouldn't have so many people secretly over consuming porn on their laptops late at night in the dark. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, can I, can I circle back real quick to something else? Cause yeah. you had said that your mom had told you um, that there was, there was a difference between sex and making love. Yeah. And, um, so do you agree with that or, and if so, what are the differences or if you, do you now feel like that's not necessarily um, true and, and why not? Um, well, I mean, I understood the way that she broke it down to me and that, you know, I think I was six and for her to go deeply philosophical with me, she probably would have lost me. So I think while I was growing up, yeah, I, I separated the two from understanding that whatever was available in magazines and different media forms um, wasn't a reality of what it would be like for me in a relationship. And I think that's what my mom was trying to narrow down for me was when you're in a committed monogamous relationship, you, you have within it these parameters where this is acceptable. But outside, I don't think my mom wanted to downright condemn it, but she didn't want to condone it either. I mean, she's raising a daughter. She didn't want to give me permission to have sex. But 
she broke it down in that way. As I've aged, yeah, there's a difference, but I think there's also a difference in the kind of sex you have when you're married too. So, I mean, it's like, how far do you want to break down the definitions? Do I look at it as making love and sex should be seen as how society's maybe constructed it? Yeah, I think there's a heck of a lot more substance and depth and meaning involved in at least a monogamous relationship um, than there is in just hooking up. So I'm, is that what you're looking for? Kind of clarification. I don't. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I just I just wanted to hear what you thought. Yeah. I mean, so that's what I think. Anyway, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Danielle, this is Jamal here. Hello. Um, hi. <laughs> I think I, I'm curious because you know the positions you're taking um, are very much you know not in line with uh, <laughs> traditional Christian thinking. You know, um, and I'm curious as to to your background. Obviously. Um, you probably didn't arrive at this understanding overnight. So what is, what's been your process in the sense of, uh, were you ever entrenched into what we would consider, you know, conservative evangelical thinking and, and what was your, how, what's been your process in on, on deconstructing or coming out of that line of thought? How did that, how did that transpire for you? Well, I know I didn't really grow up in any kind of, um, constraints, uh, constraint of a religion, really. Um, my parents really pushed back against religion. They grew up in, um, uh, Protestants and my mom, and then my dad was Southern Baptist. So they rejected religion. It wasn't, it was little stuff that was introduced to us, you know, how to say prayers. That was like one of the first things I remember ever learning. We didn't go to church. Um, but m- mom was very spiritually open and my parents grew up in it as hippies and the second wave of feminism. So I think my parents started, you know, they had me and my sisters at a point where I think maybe they could have been deconstructing out of whatever they had originally grown up into. So my life was exploring whatever my mom was exploring. She always brought us into whatever she was reading and whatever she was learning about. And she was a daytime talk show watcher. So whatever Oprah and Ellen and Dr. Phil were talking about, she was trying to find a way to reiterate it to us to always keep us kind of up to speed on everything. But we never had any tight fundamental beliefs or systems growing up. It was, hey, all my friends go to church, mom. Why don't we go to church? Do you want to go to church? Yeah, I want to go to church. And then we'd get sick of going to church because we wanted to sleep. And okay, we're done going to church then. So we had a lot of freedom and we were able to, I was able to ask a lot of questions. Um, And then as I got older, my mom kind of really she got into Calvinism and she uh, then got into like Sylvia Brown. And so, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Sylvia Brown, but she's kind of trippy and out there in a lot of things. But a lot of other things were, you know, paralleled with the teachings of the Bible. And honestly, I didn't even read the Bible until I got married. So <laughs> it just I jumped all over the place spiritually and with all different um, practices. I looked into Buddhism and Hinduism when I was a young single mom. I practiced Wicca. Wow. Um, and then I got hardcore Christian conservative. And yeah, I just, I, I go through a bunch of phases. And so, and then I always kind of like say, okay, that really sucked. And <laughs> I try and find every way to break it down and attack it and reject it. And then I move to something else. So, so if we were to try to grab your spiritual journey slash deconstruction, it seems like it would kind of not be a straight line or even a wavy line. It would be a kind of a scribble line. It's all over the place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely all over the place. And um, yeah, I never really settled in anything. So I, 
I never have been and I don't really see myself. I feel like I feel like we should always be deconstructing or going through some form of a metamorphosis, like constantly shredding off more layers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I'm ever really going to be settled and think I, I know it all. I mean, I would love to think at like 85, I can finally, you know, go off and be all mystical and just sit and ponder the meaning of life and not have any concern. But not in the near future. I think there's there's too much to learn and then comprehend and then decide if I want to accept it or reject it or not. So can I ask, um, so many things have changed and you've kind of explored so many different avenues from, like you said, Buddhism and Wicca and conservatism and Calvinism and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, has there been some, some core element that has remained the same throughout all of that? In other words, is there some thing that you always held on to or was there something you were always uh, searching for, or I mean, what was the constant for you in that process? Um, I never, I've never stopped believing in God. I, I think since I, I, I was three, I knew there was a God. I knew I could speak to God in my thoughts, and I knew that God just never left me. So the constant has always been God. I think it's just been at which angle I was trying to understand God, and so where I am now, where I wouldn't be able to turn back at to is kind of a universalism. I don't I don't foresee anybody being rejected. I think everybody is saved. Um and yeah, that I mean that means yeah, I think Hitler's going to get a second mm-hmm. chance to become cleansed as well, but um I mean I'm to say that I'm certain on anything that I believe, I would say I believe there is a God and all will be saved. But after that, breaking everything down, I if I don't understand it, I'm going to need to comprehend it, and then I'm going to have to chew on it for a while. But I've come to find a lot of um, of my questions answered just by listening to your podcast, honestly. I mean, I've learned so much in the last year just following you guys that it's kind of been, it's been super overwhelming, but it's been such a pleasure, like just to my brain itself, and then to be able to see how many other people you are also teaching and are, are getting the same thing. So that's pretty cool in itself. So thank you for all of the information you share with everyone. Thank you. Well, and I think the big, the big part of what you're saying there is the community surrounding the podcast. It's like none of us, at least from the, the feedback I've gotten on this show is that none of us, um, no one's getting something from the show because we're telling them what to think or telling them what to believe. But um, what we try to do is include everyone, um, other than the trolls, maybe on Facebook, but to, to really embrace the communal, the communal doing theology, mm-hmm. the, um, you know what I mean? Like, um, everyone coming together, everyone's opinions valid. It doesn't mean everyone's right or everyone is even close to being right. It just means that everyone has the space to be able to have, the, have those dialogues and put forth those thoughts. And so I think the big part of this podcast is actually more of the communal effort that goes into things like our Facebook group where we can all just get around and chat and share articles and blogs and ideas. And that's been so enriching to me. I know it has been for other people too. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, sorry to cut you off. One last thing, your notes, one of those things, the notes you, you draw out and make artistic and then post in the group. is (sighs) just one of those aspects of just like, absolutely nothing we would have ever thought of would come of this show is like, Oh my goodness. Like, and those notes have really helped other people be like, oh, okay, these, these are awesome. These, this really connects things for yeah. me when I do listen yeah. to the show. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad people appreciate them. Yeah, it's just one of my little things that I've always done. And yeah, that's how I process the information that I get. So 
I, 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 I'm glad to hear that other people enjoy it. Yeah, I just want to... Because it certainly helps me think. Yeah, absolutely. I want to just say, I'll say, I'll say uh, the same thing, that if, if anyone listening to the podcast has not joined the, the Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group, I would encourage you to do so because if for no other reason, then after every episode, usually within a day or two, um, sometimes the same day we post it, actually, you're pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. Danielle does these amazing, artistic, beautiful notes that she takes as she listens to every podcast and then she'll scan them and put them up on the on the group page and they're gorgeous they're beautiful i'd be honest i read i i scan through them every single time and and it it's great because i can remember oh that's right we talked about this and it's good to see the things that that you notice the things that you know that kind of like float to the top for you and the way that you phrase it and the way that you kind of artistically set it out it's so great i love it it's one of the best things about Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you for doing that. It's, it's a beautiful gift. Thank you. Thank you. So, hey, and I, we should probably, oh, I want to ask, um, I hope this is okay, if, if it's uh, the appropriate time. But uh, we, we mentioned at the top of the interview, Matt mentioned that you are uh, soon to be a, a choir author as well. Yes, he is. Yeah. And so could you talk a little bit about what is this book that you're writing with Matt and what's it about? Why are you writing it? Why do you think the world needs a book like this and, uh, you know, just give us a chance to hear what it's about. Okay. Well, well, what it's about is marriage. Um, currently it is, we're just, we're just going to say it's the untitled marriage book because we have not come up with a title yet, but we'll get there. And (laughs) dig it, Matt. No. Um, (laughs) um, well, okay. So I reached out to Matt a few months back when he had, um, published something about vulnerability on his um, Pathios page. And it really struck a chord with me. And I related to it because um, I was just kind of going through a phase of understanding and embracing vulnerability myself. And I took it as a shot to um, kind of uh, subject, submit to him as kind of my application for considering. I wanted, I wanted to join on his blog and see if he would get me to get me published a few times. You know, I was looking for an avenue for a blog. Sorry, Matt, I was kind of using you, but I also just, everything Matt wrote, I just kind of, it just resonated with me. And he kind of speaks a little bit more my language than Jamal and Keith do. So, um, I kind of shared with some, I shared something with him that was very vulnerable. And I talked about my infidelity in my marriage and he reached out to me afterwards and was like, we need to write a book. I've experienced some stuff in my marriage and you've expressed a lot about your marriage. And I think we could make this book great. And I was like, you don't have to ask me twice to write a book. Yeah. And so we kind of went from there and it's been so much fun. We're, I think it's helping us explore more into our own marriages. Um, I know it's helping me kind of introspectively look at my own, um, my own role and functions in my marriage and, I think that if I can learn from this, I'm, and and Matthew can learn from whatever he's learning, that there's got to be someone else that could benefit from that. And the support and encouragement from other people has been really overwhelming. So it just kind of uh, resolidifies that our book is needed. I think because we can share the message of all the ways we fucked up and everybody else can jump on board and go, I've been there and maybe not put so much pressure on themselves to produce some kind of fake reality to satisfy society. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great answer. Yeah. Thank you. There's a lot of really, really bad 
Christian marriage books and and post. I think some of us have started sharing. I think you probably been sharing them because you're probably see. There is the mm-hmm. thing when you're writing a book on a topic like that, your radar is open and you start seeing things yeah, like is. this, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know. Um, and actually, some of them they've been sharing in the Facebook group have been just horrible. You know, what was the one you shared the other day yeah. about a woman? Uh, it was from a Christian publication saying that a woman, a wife should endure painful sex with her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that are so sad to even, and you know, you you can't make this stuff up, but I wish it was made up because yeah, it's sad. And I mean, I've, I have some friends who are in some really conservative Christian lines of thought. And I just think, um, no, it's really not supposed to be like that. And no, it's really supposed to be okay to, um, enjoy the sex. Um, but it's not supposed to hurt. And that's really overwhelming. I, I, I just recently read a a statistic that like 35% of women experience pain Mm. during sex and don't say anything. And because they're afraid they're going to hurt their husband's feelings. Well, I'm sorry, but I mean, after I saw that, I was like, we have to write to that. Like we have to specifically target this topic because this is not right. And this is, this is, this is false teaching is what it is. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, your radar opens up, you see all these other stories, you can't believe this kind of stuff is still going on. So then again, it just kind of re-solidifies that we're on the right track here and we need to get this information out to people because we've had such a narrow view of marriage itself. And yeah, we need to start taking steps towards, I don't know, having like an awakening with marriage, I think, maybe kind of helping give it a new definition. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. I I think a big part of, I'll just chime in, I guess, since I'm yeah, co-authoring the should. book, <laughs> um, is that it it really helps when we do redefine marriage as this is something that I've been thinking about recently more. Marriage, for me, is no longer understood as something that just happens on a specific date. It's something that continues to happen over the course of however long people choose to stay together. And I think when we think of it in in those terms, like you become more married, you become more uh, vulnerable and open um, and and naked to use an analogy with mm-hmm. the other person. Those types of things, those types of things were like the last thing I personally would want is my wife to hide something like mm-hmm. that from me. So the, this idea that, well, we don't want to hurt the feelings of the other person if sex hurts or if this and that or whatever the issue is, I think we really, and especially in the church, because that was my background and, and going through premarital counseling, which was complete bullshit and things like that. We need to be having these conversations like it's okay to <clears throat> to voice something that's not comfortable or not right and, and to have the space to, to not condemn and to not judge and to not take offense um, by those issues we might have in marriage. Because if anyone expects marriage to be good all the time from the get-go, they're just deceiving themselves because marriage is something that makes you grow up sometimes really fast. And and I think when we take that aspect in our marriage, or we take that viewpoint in our marriage, that we're going to have to grow up, we're going to have to become more married, then I think it gives us more space to be vulnerable. And so that's that's personally why I want to write the book. And and when, when Danielle piggybacked off some article I wrote, I don't remember exactly what I wrote, but I remember I remember the article. Um, it was just like, wow, this girl really resonates um, where I'm at in this in this aspect and, and how I would view my marriage with like complete vulnerability. And I thought she really got me and what I was trying to do. And so 
you know, for me, it was like a, an obvious match to like, hey, let's write a book. Yeah, it sounds great. And it sounds like there's something something that's really needed. Uh, my thought about women, uh, Christian women enduring painful sex was that they probably have not never been told that sex with their husbands should feel good or that if it felt good that that, you know, that, that was acceptable. Uh, or or maybe they when they're experiencing pain, they just think, well, this is this is what sex is. You know, it's not for me. It's for my husband. I'm performing my wifely duty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And which is so right. sick. I mean, it's so it's so screwed up that that Christians um, perpetuate this kind of stuff. Like, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine yeah. a Christian sitting down to say, hey, it turns out that a lot of women uh, experience pain during sex. I'm going to write an article for a Christian publication that tells Christian women, that's great. You know, just just grin and bear it. Like, what? Why wouldn't you say I'm going to write an article that says to Christian women, "Hey, this happens, and you should talk. You should. It shouldn't hurt. You know, this is supposed to be something that's for both of you. Like, why uh, wouldn't you do that? I can't understand that. I mean, not for nothing, but God created uh, a female body part that is like basically yeah. just for pleasure. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> like, do do none of do none of these Christian men not think, oh, my wife has a clitoris, right. it should feel good. Like maybe I'm fucking wrong. I don't know. Well, I you know what you know what's really funny um, when I got when I got I'm dating myself here. But when I got married, Wendy and I got married like 29 years ago, and uh, I at the time I was working for the Baptist bookstore in El Paso, Texas, and we had a section on marriage, and I bought a book. I think I might have it somewhere still in the in in the garage called the the Act of Marriage. I think it was called. And it was a Christian book. There was actually two Christian books we had on the shelf. The other one was called Intended for Pleasure. And no kidding, the book was wrapped in like uh, a brown paper bag. Uh, so the, you couldn't even read the title. It was just completely a book, a hardback book wrapped in a brown paper bag. And then when you opened it or took off the brown wrapping, you could see it, the title was Intended for Pleasure. And it had very graphic drawings of genitalia and showing you how to stimulate the clitoris and, and all kinds of very, very detailed almost scientific level notes about how to have pleasurable sex. And between those two books, The Act of Marriage and Intended for Pleasure, and again, these were Christian books sold at a freaking Baptist bookstore. Um, those were the two great books, especially for when, you know, when Wendy and I were just getting married and, uh, and, and wanting to, uh, what are we doing here? Make sure we do this right. Those books were actually really helpful because they, they were books that talked about how a husband can help his wife reach orgasm. And talking about like things like if it hurts, you know, it shouldn't hurt and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's sad to me, by the way, uh, that that act of marriage book is the only Tim LaHaye book I own because that's Tim LaHaye wrote that with his wife, believe it or not. Uh, he should probably stick to writing those kinds of books. Did you just promote a Tim LaHaye I book? I sure did. And I would do it again. <laughs> I had an I had a unique opportunity to read The Joy of Sex and The Sensuous Man before I was even 17 and so yeah I, I read I they were my dad's they were stashed away in a box and I I have to read everything so I read them and I went to my mother curious with questions you know everyone at school says it hurts but this book is telling me something otherwise and I remember my mom going it does not hurt it it never it's never supposed to hurt right and I just thought, why, why does everybody lie to us? And then, you know, of course, my mom had to always go and give way too much information. Um, and so I had, I had high expectations as I 
started um, dating. So, I mean, books like that are important. And I don't see those books being passed around anymore. Even if you accidentally leave the book out for your kid, I mean, you're kind of helping them out way more than what they're going to get in the public school system. Right. And The Joy of Sex was, yeah, very important book for me. I knew exactly what I was to want and to not want. And that's kind of important for women to be able to communicate that to the person they're having sex with. So... I'm all for the books too. Yeah. My mom, um, my mom is one of, I think she had like six sisters and an older brother uh, born in a very small town in a very hick town in, in the small town of Tennessee. And no kidding. I mean, by the way, my mom and all of her sisters are drop dead gorgeous. They are the prettiest girls in the town. And of course, all the guys were trying to date them. And, um, but my, my grandmother never, ever, had a conversation with any of the daughters about sex. My mom said she believed that if you had sex standing up, you couldn't get pregnant. That if you had sex the first time, you couldn't get pregnant the first time. All kinds of crazy things that she just you know heard from school. And you know then then when she was an adult, she'd already got married and had me. I remember sitting around the table, and my mom, as an adult woman, was saying to my to her mom to my grandmother, "Why didn't you ever talk to any of us?" when we were teenagers about sex, because you never, we never, we didn't know anything. And, and her answer mm-hmm. was something like, well, you didn't need to know that. And, um, you know, that wasn't important. It's like, are you insane? <laughs> How in the world did you think that these gorgeous girls were not going to be in situations where they needed to know something about sex? So, um, yeah, it's just, it's so screwy, you know, that we still live in a world where there are parents today raising their children in the same kind of way. Like if you don't talk about it, it won't happen, right? It kind of bury your head in the sand. Yeah. And I mean, the United States, we're like really far behind in a really good comprehensive sexual education plan. Um, when you look at Europe um, and even in the East, they, they they start teaching children at such a younger age, more graphically, um, more in detail, not focusing so much on fallopian tubes and and, and how the sperm meets the ovaries, but more so on, okay, well, your teenagers are going to do this. So we need to start talking about safe sex and we need to talk to them about what feels good and what shouldn't and, and, and how you shouldn't perform the sex and consent, consent, consent. And over here, we're telling people just don't have sex, just don't have sex and make sure that you understand what the fallopian tubes do and where the testes are located and None of that's really important. Nobody's thinking about that when they're in the heat of the moment and they're trying to figure out what goes where. I mean, we need to do better, but that's to savor a lot of things in this country. So hopefully we'll get there. A long way to go. Yes. Yes. We'll we'll start with the book from me and Matt. Yeah. That's right. That's why we're writing the book because we do have a long way to go, especially in the church. It seems like we're always so far behind on these things. and, And our answer is like, it's not to teach them about even condoms or this and that. It's just like, don't have sex. And it's like, well, that fucking doesn't work. I'm sorry. Like, like <laughs> read, read any, any bit of history, read any mimetic theory, like telling people not to do something is just like, okay, it doesn't work. Like that can't be our only answer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on and for sharing. And I'm just uh, curious as to what your, um, wh- what you're excited about moving forward and how can people get in touch with you? All right. Well, moving forward, I'm, you know, I'm still working on this book with, with Matthew. Um, and I don't even think we're halfway there, but that's okay. I'm not in a rush for this. I'm learning so much from it. Um, after that, though, um, this spring, 
Choir will be launching its second podcast, and it will uh, include Michelle Collins and myself, and it is called Bookish, The Canon Continues. And so this this is a podcast where me and Michelle are going to talk about books that we're reading um, in areas such as uh, anthropology, psychology, theology, sociology. And the aim would be to just kind of show how spiritual themes are kind of spread out across various genres and um, to dismantle the sacred and secular divide. So we'll, we'll try and pluck out um, bits and pieces of whatever we're reading and see how that relates to just our, our faith and where we're at in our process in life. And um, I, I think we're going to try and cover whatever topic we want to. Nothing's going to be too taboo for us and, uh, we're going to try and keep all topics limitless um, and hope to engage and provoke some thought and critical thinking with others and kind of serve as a, a Cliff's Notes for those who can't keep up with reading right. the way that we do. And that way, you know, I, I love the idea because then I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be the only way I'm going to be able to get my husband to understand what I'm reading. Here, honey, read the oh, podcast. Awesome. I just read this book. So this is a win-win for me because now I can keep my husband <laughs> up to speed and <laughs> he doesn't have to look at me like another yeah, book. Can I, can I ask a favor, <laughs> like a personal favor of you? Of course. That'd be okay. Um, I have a book coming out soon and I was just wondering if you could- <laughs> If you could give us, give me like a favorable review. Um, if I favor the book, I will. I'll have to see. I'll have to see if I can get a copy of that book. This motherfucker. Yeah, we'll, we'll put you in touch with the you publisher. If, I love yeah. that idea, though, Jamal. Yeah, definitely. I would love to read your book and and review it uh, on the podcast. So awesome. we'll, awesome. we'll put Thank you up there at the top of the list. Oh, I'm so honored. Thank you so much. Of course. It all sounds really good. But who's this Michelle Collins lady? Um, I don't know if you guys know her or not. No, I never never heard of her. You know, you never heard of her? Um, <laughs> for real. She is this amazing, um, buff, beautiful, poetic, vulnerable, authentic woman that I connected with on Facebook. I've never met her in person, but I don't really care. I will. Um, but she's, she's incredible, and we have a lot of similar ideas. And so um, I guess Ralph just saw that in both of us and thought we'd make a great pair. So check her out too. She's amazing. She has, um, she's on Facebook too. Um, but, uh, right now I just want to chime in because I forgot, um, if folks are interested in learning more about when the podcast is going to be available, we do have a website and it is bookish.cc, not.com. Um, and that is where you're going to receive, um, more information on when we go live. So just want you to check that out first. So okay, did you say bookish.cc? Bookish.cc. I think we went with CC for Canon continues. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Canon continues. That is yes. I, thank you for really calling cool. that. I, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I love that. But I, do you have I, a, but do you have a hotline? Do you have a hotline? That's the real question. Oh man. I don't even know. Will we need one? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you should do. Can we use your hotline? We have a fax machine we're not using. No. <laughs> well, if you if you guys do get a hotline, um, I would be more than happy to be to guest on your podcast and announce that. Yeah, I would love that. We should definitely um, put our heads together and see what other ideas we can. Or maybe like a beeper number. Get going. People, you could. Oh my gosh, that'd be fun. Yeah, people can page you. Yeah, we should do that. Well, cool. 
Well, this has been awesome, Danielle. It's been so great to talk to you. And I'm excited for the book. I'm excited um, for the podcast that's coming up with you and Michelle. That sounds amazing. And it, I'm going to add it to my list. And I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about this this subject because we are getting ready to start talking about sex as a series, as a podcast coming up. And I can't think of anyone better to help us, you know, kind of kick off this conversation. Aw, thank you. I feel I feel so honored. Thank you for thinking of me. Wow, that was great. Uh, Danielle is awesome. What a, what a gift she is, man. We, you know, we had no, had no idea when we started this podcast we were going to find someone like her uh, who had so much to offer. I think it's so cool to actually have her on the podcast. Yeah, and I'm super excited about our book. But anyway, all that being said, I think we, it's, it, I mean, it's time to get into it. Like people have been waiting for mm, the sex series. Yeah. And, mm. and it's, it's the new mm-hmm. year. You know, we all have our New Year's resolutions and everything. So why not just start talking about porn? Oh, yeah. Hey, baby. There it oh, is. Yeah. There it is. So, yes, pornography. Um, <clears throat> yeah. If there are any children in the room, I'm going to say one more time. Good night, good night kids. Oh, yeah. Good one night, last kids. time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, but for the rest of you, uh, yes. we want to talk about this issue. And, and look, this is something we have gotten voicemails and texts and messages about this. People have been wanting us to talk about uh, sex and pornography and LGBTQ and so many things like this. And we've been wanting to do it. We, we had to get through some other uh, other things that were also very important to talk about. But finally, finally, we're going to talk about this very important yeah. issue. And we wanted to, to start off the sex series talking about pornography. Uh, we've already touched on this a little bit with Danielle, but what you didn't hear, I think, in that interview with Danielle is really how the three of us land on this issue. And I'm pretty sure we have not talked about this ahead of time. At least I've not talked to either of you guys. No, I don't really no. know where you guys are going to uh-huh. land. Um, so this should be fun. Uh, pornography. Uh, is it? Is it always bad? Yeah. I mean, do we like it? Do we not like it? What do you guys think? I I, I guess I'll, I'll answer. Me personally, though, no, I, I don't. I'm not into it. Like, I mean, I mean, obviously, I've, I mean, I, if I'm, if I say I nev- never, never looked that. at porn, I'm lying. But right, I never do that. I'm a good Christian boy. But, <laughs> but it's like, for me, it's like, you know, I know Danielle was talking about how um, it could be useful in certain ways, and it's like, yeah, I, I think I agree with all of that. For me, I don't find it that useful in terms of like where I'm at now. Um, you know, have I have I probably seen some things that I'm like, oh, I might try that out. Yeah, maybe I've learned something in that way. But as far as as far as it goes for me, like it's not it's one of those things like when not not to jump on Paul's dick again. But, <laughs> um, it, 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 you know, when he said, when, yeah, right. When when he says that all things are lawful, not all things are beneficial. It's like, well, for me personally, I don't feel like it benefits me. And for you know my marriage, it doesn't benefit me, and maybe it benefits other people. I don't take the uh, the standard evangelical line that anytime you watch porn, that's bad or something. Because like, what is the difference, honestly, for uh, let's say a, a teenage boy who's who who's watching porn or reading Song of Songs? Like, you could your imagination's running wild. You wake up with a boner. Like you can obviously, like if you read the Bible, you can get turned on. So I can't say like, it's just this blanket statement. Like it's bad. It's just not something I'm like, I haven't, I I, I haven't watched porn in a long time actually. And for a while I did. And for like a good portion of my life, I probably did. But 
It's just not something that I'm into. Right. But that's just me. That's just me. Yeah. So Jamal, what, where do you stand on this? You know, it's, it's, it's nuanced. So, uh, I mean, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts, but I, I guess, you know, I don't have a position in the sense of like right or wrong because I try, I tend not to, I try, I try not to, um, view the world through this lens of good and bad or right and wrong. Cause I, I find that to be very, uh, that's a, that's a place of judgment. And I think that, you know, going back to the, the story in Genesis, the tree, you know, the two trees in the garden of Eden, one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like this idea that we're constantly judging between this is good and this is evil. And this is good. I just don't think that's where we're meant to live. It causes a lot of problems and it puts us in the place of judge. where We're always saying this is good or this is bad. So I don't look at pornography as good or bad. But I, I do, I will say this about, I think that we're dealing with a couple of different issues with it. First of all, pornography is a major industry, billion dollar industry. It, um, it is, it, it's rampant. Um, you know, it tends to run rampant as, as was mentioned in, I think Danielle mentioned this in, in our interview with her, but that the porn industries it's just really rampant in uh, the bible belt <laughs> which is just very very much against it um so that's it's just one of those things i think we're dealing with uh two things sexual repression um is one major issue and i don't think it, that's just unique to the christian community even though christianity uh, and religion in general but more of the monotheistic religions i would say but christianity in general has really m- made a living off of sexual re, sexual repression over the over the years and i think uh, that that really has a lot of roman catholic roots augustinian roots um but but sexual demonization sexual repression is huge within christianity and um but in the human condition in general most human beings are have a, a deep sense of shame and and so sexuality you know our sexual being is very closely tied in my understanding to just a, uh, an essence of who we are. And so if we have shame sexually, it's because we carry shame about our being and it just, it's, it's really manifested sexually. So I think that's a huge part of it, but we are sexual beings, even if we're ashamed of it. So you can't get away from who you are. We are sexual beings. And, um, as sexual beings, if you try to repress that or shame that it just comes out in deviant forms. So that's one thing. The other thing is, this idea of lust, this concept of lust, you know, I think pretty much in the Christian world, most Christians would understand lust to be a negative thing. And I, th- I too think it's negative, uh, not because it's wrong or evil or it breaks some moral code, but because it's unhealthy, it doesn't flow in line with who we are in our truest self. So I believe that lust is created. It's a, it's a, it's a twisted desire that's created from a sense of lack. It's a lack of being. So people tend to sexualize their their pain uh, it's all a lot of it's unconscious but it's people are longing and they're hungering and thirsting for some for a sense of of of, of it's like a void it's something they're trying to connect to at a deep level and i do believe that gets sexualized and i think that that is um that leads to a dark sexual energy and i think the pornography industry is rampant with that and I also believe it, it, it's it, this, the pornography industry uh, fuels tremendous uh, objectification of women and abuse of children. Mm-hmm. And it's not an accident. It's not like, hey, these just mm-hmm. kind of happen to do that. There's a reason for it because it is fueled, in my opinion, by dark sexual energy. So I tend to not, um, I, I, 
would I say pornography is wrong? No, uh, I wouldn't say it's wrong in that sense. I can somebody use it in a way that could be, you know, healthy in their own relationship and their own coming to terms with their own sexuality. I, I would imagine that that's possible. Um, but I do believe it's a low frequency. It really, it's it, if you were to put it, I think I don't, I find that it doesn't really flow with love and with um, a high frequency behavior. Um, that's just my initial take on it. I just, I'm not a big fan. Yeah. Well, no, it's funny. I'm shocked yeah. because it sounds like we're all three of us are agreeing. I expected some disagreement, but um, yeah, I think the re- my, where I'm coming from with pornography, um, I went through at a very young age, um, got addicted to pornography. Um, and it was something that I struggled with all through junior high and high school and even into college for a while. Uh, and it was something that um, I would I would kind of get into it, and it was really. And when I say it was an addiction, I mean like I could not physically stop thinking about it. Uh, it was this weird, bizarre thing where like a part of my brain was always kind of scheming against me. Like I would say I don't want to do this anymore, but then at the same time there'd be a part of my brain that would be like planning how I was going to get it and find it and where I was going to hide it and how I was going to look at it and all that stuff. It was just really, you know, dark and, and bad. It was just really bad. And of course there's all this kind of shame that's associated with that as well. It was really uh, damaging my relationship with, uh, well, kind of, you know, um, shipwrecking any possible relationship with a, with a girl. Because one of the, one of the byproducts for me, and I'm just going to say for me, I'm not saying this is for everybody, but um, you know, kind of, viewing pornography as much as I was and in different ways that I was, it, it made it impossible for me to look at a woman as a person. Like I, I always saw a girl as a, a sexual object. I couldn't relate to a woman just as um, another human being, you know? Uh, and that was, and I, it took me a while to even realize that, that I was doing that. Um, and so for me, it was, wasn't until college, probably like my, I think sophomore year of college, I really, really got um, free of that, and it was, it was, <laughs> it was a very spiritual, emotional um, thing that, that that happened to me. I would almost say I was delivered from it, if you want to put it in that in those terms, where that addiction was broken off of me after years of trying to do this, and um, and and then then when I got married, first of all, I was so glad that I I kind of got that stuff out of my system and got that. Uh, addiction to pornography was gone before I got married. So when I, when Wendy and I got married, that stuff was not an issue for me in, my, in our marriage. But then this, then then going into the marriage, and then especially when I had children, I was like, I, I more than anything in the world, I did not want my my children, my boys, to go through the same thing I did. So I was like, I don't want it in my house. I don't want it. I don't want them to accidentally see it or find it. Um, so it even more, you know, reinforced even more for me as a, as a husband and as a father that for me, this was destructive. Uh, I understand what Danielle's saying. Maybe it, it's good for some people, but I'm going to say for me, it was not good. It was addictive. It was destructive. Um, it warped and twisted the way I related to women and other people. Um, and it was something that once I started, I could not stop it. And so, so like anybody, like if I, if that was, if my addiction was alcoholism, um, that doesn't mean not all alcohol is bad or drinking alcohol is bad. Maybe for you, it's no big deal. But 
for someone who's addicted to alcohol, no, I can't go and just, let me just watch a little pornography. I'll be okay. Well, I won't be. Uh, I I know that I I need to have the self control not to go there, uh, and so for me, yeah, I, I kind of have a pretty negative view of pornography, uh, and and for all the reasons that Jamal said as well, that it's a it's a multi billion dollar industry that exploits girls, um, uh, it, it fuels uh, a lot of uh, sex trafficking, and uh, just a lot of really bad bad stuff that, that surrounds the whole porn industry. So yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with all, all that you're saying. I would just I would just always want to nuance things and say like, OK, so I love a good cheeseburger. And if I get my beef at uh, the Chico State, California State University, Chico, where I my alma mater, they have a farm here in Chico and I get my ground beef from them. It's you know, it's raised without all this bullshit. We, we give our our, you know, our farm animals. And it's it's raised in a healthy environment. It's not in some sort of like fucking death camp for animals, you know. And, and I make a cheeseburger. That's fine. But the but some people ha- like basically eat themselves to death and have these horrible eating problems. And they and they go through this like a bunch of sugar, then a bunch of salt, and they get diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And the industry is just like, fuck you. We're just going to give you all these horribly raised animals and you know mcdonald's and burger king we're going to tell you it's food and it's like okay yeah any industry can take something that we as human beings have a propensity towards food and sex and what have you and then create an industry out of it and just not give a shit about people and so yeah in that way yeah porn porn as an porn as 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 an industry is is disgusting in many ways what you're saying yeah but but yeah, in many ways. I mean, in many ways. And I and I won't I wouldn't sit here for one second and like turn a blind eye to it. But at the same time, like for me, it's like the question is like porn as such or eroticism as such is not good or bad. And it can be helpful for some yeah. couples, which I've I've listened to. Like if someone is having struggle is struggling with their sex, I mean, like, OK, so. I, I learned how to play hockey some at some point in my life, and I watched videos and how to do that. Like I learned how to skate, how to how to back skate, how to play defense, how to shoot a puck. Like if if you're using porn to like ignite something in your marriage, like well, how do I do this? I I don't have I don't have <laughs> this plumbing, so how do I right. maneuver yours? Or how do we how how do we do things on a physical level? Like we've never had sex before. Well what do we do or we're having struggles in the bedroom well what are people who are having good sex do i mean if porn's used as that or if eroticism is used as that i don't see the problem of course you can become addicted but you can become addicted like human beings have pretty much proven that we can become addicted to anything oh yeah and you know i, I agree with you on that uh, but um i, I want to specifically respond to what you were saying like uh you watch, watching an instructional video on how to like, oh, I want to cook like Gordon Ramsay. Let me pull up a YouTube clip on how to make uh, this special kind of French, <laughs> you know, scrambled egg. That's one thing. But um, I, I to me, I think yeah. porn is is that's don't go there if you really honestly want to know how do I have sex with my wife and please her. Like to me, I mean, maybe there's some. I haven't watched porn in a long time. Maybe there's some really great instructional how to step one two three porn that I'm not aware of. Well, I'm not saying it's necessarily. <laughs> but I mentioned, like, like yeah. I mentioned in, in that interview with Danielle, that um, 
I, I bought some books that were excellent books. And I, and I wouldn't call those books pornography, although, yeah, they were, and they were drawings and they were instructions. But it was, a, it was saying, hey, husbands and wives, read this book together. Talk to each other when you're having sex. Tell, talk about what feels good and what doesn't feel good. Um, you know, work on these kinds of techniques so you can have better sex together. And, and that worked. And I mean, that was a wonderful thing. And I wouldn't, I, and I, to me, that is the farthest thing from pornography that I could imagine. Now, now again, if I was a nine-year-old boy and I found that book, you know, under my dad's bed, I would probably, it would probably feel like pornography to me because, ooh, it's talking about sex and whatever. But um, it's, there's a big, to me there, at least anyway, there's a big difference between saying, Hey, I want help in my marriage. Then we'll go see a sex counselor. For sure. I, see a marriage I think, counselor. you know, just a couple of thoughts um, because of the shame and this human shame complex sexuality. And a lot of times when, when people are coming of age, you know, when you're, when you're growing up, you hit puberty, a lot of times the way, you know, your, your body's developing sexually. And so you start having sexual feelings and your body's your hormones are raging. And a lot of times we're made to feel shame about those things. Um, in, in guy culture, guys are even the way the guys talk about masturbation is shameful. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's right. <laughs> it, the way, the way, uh, the way it's portrayed to have sexual feelings, to have sexual desires, all these things are such shame associated with it. So that's going to create a lot of dark energy in itself. So I think, I think there's a real powerful, a real need to, for, for people to, to, to be able to, to feel their own sexuality, to feel, to come into, to come into a a sense of acceptance of, of, of the goodness because our sexuality is good. I mean, the fact that we are sexual beings is very good. So we should be yeah. able to feel that and be in touch with that and be at home in that. And there and there are things that can help a person do that. If a person, if a couple is in a relationship and they're they're having sexual problems, almost nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, it's because they're disconnected from themselves in some in themselves in some way, shape, or form. So a lot of times sex therapy, sex therapists will help people get in touch back with their own heart. And you, and so, and I know things like the Kama Sutra and these different, um, different, you know, ancient teachings, you know, of course it goes into some detail of sexual positions and things like that, but really the essence of that teaching is, is getting connected to get, to get very present, connect with your breath, come into yourself because your sexual, nobody lacks sexual right. desire. People lack access to it, uh, or they, people or, or people are feeling in some way, shape or form. Uh, shame or a sense of lack around that. And that creates unhealthy desire. But um, porn to me, I, I also think that the, and this is just me. Okay. I don't want to, I'm not judging other people, but I can just tell you my approach to it is I, you know, I, I tend to think of our, my body and my, you know, like, you know, my partner's body as, as a temple, as you know, we house, we are literally the manifestation of God on the earth. I really believe that. I believe our bodies are we, we house divinity. And so I'm just really careful. And especially, you know, we get to be in these intimate relationships, you know, you know, if you're married, you're in an intimate romantic relationship with somebody that's really special and unique. I personally don't want to show my body, um, in that way or my partner's body off to just anybody and make me feel very unsafe. And I don't want to view other people, um, in that way. It, to me, that's just not how I want to view them, not because I'm ashamed of our sexuality or ashamed of human, the human body, but I just feel like there's a, it, there's a sacredness to this. There's a sacredness to our genitals. There's a sacredness to our bodies that we should really hold in high regard. And the porn industry, in my opinion, really does not do that. 
Yeah. And I think it's, it's also important to remember that if you are married, like, I mean, have the type of relationship where you can talk about this with your, with your partner. And, and if someone's not, if someone's just like, Hey, I'm not cool with this, like, like have, have that in mind too. Cause I, I think it's important for us to, to remember, I mean, all of us are either married or in a relationship, um, a serious relationship, which, you know, Jamal, you're not quote unquote married yet per the state, but like all of our relationships are in that. Um, and like I discussed in our, in our interview with Danielle, I don't see married as a one-time thing. Like we become more or less married with the person as we go. I think, I mean, that's just reality. It seems like in my, my understanding, you can become less married and still be married on paper. So regardless, like if we're, if we're in a long-term committed relationship, I think we should have the type of relationship where we can discuss this. And if we're not all on the same page, we would have the respect to say, okay, like I will, if I need to look at porn and my spouse isn't on board with that, what's the reason behind me feeling right. like I need to look at porn? You know, is there a lack in our relationship? Is there sexual tension? Is there something we're not discussing? Is there vulnerability issues? Is there what have you? And, and I think that what's important is to live in that, like, in that space of now where we're like vulnerable enough without fear of condemnation to discuss these things with our partner. If, if, um, you know, if we're in t a type of relationship like that. So I, I think it always, it always makes things problematized. You guys can take a shot now. Um, it, it, if we're in a relationship, it's not just about, is it good to look at porn or is it bad to look at porn? It's like, okay, well now how is it affecting the relationship? Cause you're not, you're not just you yourself. You are now, you know, saying I'm with this person through life, through thick right. and thin. We're going to talk about this. And that always makes things more nuanced and more dynamic. And, and you have to have more empathy when you're in that type of relationship. So that's always something important to remember. Yeah. And Matt, thank you for saying that. See, I, I would echo that. And I would say to somebody, and that's, if you're in a relationship, if you're married, um, and if pornography uh, if you're either thinking about bringing pornography into the marriage or it's already part of the marriage, um, I would say, I would, I would want to give some advice and say, make sure pornography is not more important to you than your marriage and your relationship with the other, your spouse. Because again, that would be my concern. Uh, as I've already explained why for me, pornography is not something that I would, uh, that I think is necessary for my relationship because our relationship is great. And so I don't want to bring anything in that's going to, uh, you know, mess that up. But I understand that some people have different marriages, different relationships. And, uh, but my concern would be um, just make sure that pornography doesn't become more important to you than the person you're in the relationship with. Because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. And, it would, and I would hope you'd be willing to see if it bothered the other person to say, you know what, then forget it. I, let's not do the pornography thing. Let's just be together. And, uh, and let's communicate. Let's talk to each other. Let's listen to each other. Um, and especially about sex. Um, it's not a small thing. It's not a little thing. Uh, and if anything, I think couples should talk about it a lot before they get yeah. married because it's going to be a big part yep. of your marriage going forward. Yep. And I know people that aren't married now because they didn't talk about it. Then they got married. And then, you know, the husband finds out that, that his wife thinks sex is dirty and feels dirty every time they have sex. And then now there's, what do I do now? I, I, I know a guy who got married and uh, his wife never wanted to ever have sex with him. And well, what do you do about that? You know, like we should have talked about this before. So 
you know, those kind of things are so important. No, no yeah. And I want, super key. I, I, I want to say this about addiction in general, because addiction, you know, they've done these studies. Uh, there was a study done, um, you know, not that long ago that basically this guy was did a TED talk. It was fantastic. But he basically was uh, had a bunch of folks in his family that were addicted to heroin. And he was like, well, how's, you know, and the standard line was if you, you do heroin for about 21 days, um, then your body develops chemical hooks. And, and basically, you know, that's the, there's the, that connects with our dopamine receptors and everything in our brain. And you basically, you become addicted. There's these hooks that pull you in. So, you know, don't do drugs for this amount of period of time and you won't develop the chemical hooks. But then he started to do research and like hospitals pretty much prescribe heroin. I mean, that's really what they do. Uh, you know, it's obviously Oxycontin. It's different. It's a different name, but it's actually a more it's pure. very similar. Yeah, it's, it, it's very it, similar. Chemically speaking, it's actually a more pure form of heroin, and it's a more addictive form of heroin than street heroin, even. So it, he was expecting to see, oh, people stay in the hospital for two, three weeks. You come out, you have the chemical hooks, you're addicted, and that was not the case. So some people developed chemical hooks uh, where the dopamine receptors were 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 altered and, and, and some, some did not. And what the, to make a long story short, but what they, what they discovered was people who felt like they were disconnected from society, that they were abandoned, that they didn't have a family, they were unloved, unwanted at some very core basic level, their bodies were, were quick to develop chemical hooks to become addicted to the heroin. And I think this can be true of any kind of addiction, which messes with your, you know, there, there's a dopamine um, equation in the, in the factor. And so like, if you have a sense of lack, a lack of being, this is where desire gets mitigated. And of course there's a hormonal and chemical component to this, the, the addiction can be very strong. So again, pornography is driven predominantly by males in, in our, in our world. The women really aren't driving this industry. It is driven by males and it's, it's really driven by toxic masculinity in many ways uh, that is exploiting yeah. people. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, and, and it's in, in, in order to have a, a pornography industry, just like you have to have buyers and people are, people are hungry. There's, there's a sense of disconnection. And this is a, this is another addiction that's filling that need at a deep level. I don't think we're really getting to. So when we debate whether pornography is good or bad, right or wrong, I think we're missing the deeper issue of what is it satiating or what is the sense of lack that it's, that it's trying to, you know, um, that's being missed here in the, in the right. conversation. And, see, and I agree with you. And I think that for me, that was one of the, the negative things about pornography, because if I'm longing for a connection with another human being, um, but I'm filling that need with pornography, well, I'm not really connecting with another person. I'm connecting with a video or a magazine or a book or something. Um, and so I may be getting some kind of chemical in my brain stimulated and, and short circuiting that process. But what I am actually really craving is a real human connection. Um, then that's sort of like, well, that's what, for me, that's one of the reasons why pornography is not a good thing because it's uh, what it's not even, it's not even what I'm hungry for. It's like when you're really when your body is hungry for nutrients, right? And you, what your body is saying is I want, uh, whatever I want an apple or I want, you know, some, some vegetables or something and you're eating cheese puffs. <laughs> and so it's not even that good because at least in that sense, you're actually physically eating something. It's sort of like, I'm going to watch videos about cheese puffs, but I'm not going to actually go and eat, you know, uh, a vegetable. Right. Um, but I think, I'm not sure it's the same yeah. TED talk or the same guy, Jamal, you're talking about, but, um, you reminded me, I wrote a, I, I came across this video about addiction 
and it was actually based on a book. And so it might've been the same guy you're talking about in the Ted talk. Um, but I wrote a blog about it. Cause the thing, the thing in the video that it's jumped out at me was kind of what you're saying. They, they realized that the opposite of addiction was not sobriety, but the opposite of addiction was connection. Yeah. And um, totally. yeah. And so I think uh, there was a quote, I'm, I'm, I just looked it up. So the quote, I'm going to read it. It says human beings have an innate need to bond and connect when we are happy and healthy we'll bond with the people around us. But when we can't, because we're traumatized, isolated, or beaten down by life, we'll bond with something that gives us some sense of relief. It might be checking our smartphones constantly. It might be pornography. It might be gambling. It might be whatever. But we will bond with something because that is our human nature. The path out of unhealthy bonding is to form healthy bonds, to be connected to people who you want to be present with. Addiction is just one symptom of the crisis of disconnection that happens all around us and all of us feel it. And so I agree. And I think that's the truth. And I think you can probably get at the root of any addiction uh, by really getting to that deep part. And so to me, what that says is that what we really as human beings need is community and connection. We need other people who listen, who love us, who we listen to, and we love them and we are invested in them and their happiness. Um, or we can actually practice agape, right? The idea of I'm going to take my needs and set them aside and I'm going to be concerned about the needs of someone else and put that their needs ahead of my own um, and really express genuine love like that. Like that's really what we're made for. That's healthy. You know? Good stuff. This was a good episode, guys. It was.